Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Hi, everyone. I'm Tressie McMillan-Cottom, the co-host with Roxanne Gay of Here to Slay from Luminary. We have an excerpt from this week's show that we'd like to share with you. We recently spoke with novelist Caitlin Greenidge about books, what she's reading, what we're reading, and how books have to compete for our attention these days. If you want to hear more, you can listen to the whole thing by going to luminary.link slash slay. It's hard to make a case for, you know, the relevancy of, of fiction. And then we are coming up in a in a a year unlike any other year outside of the imaginations of so many people. And so it's hard to make the bid that the thing that came out of your imagination is worth anyone else's time. The flip side of that is, you know, I, I sort of assumed that not many people would want to be reading right now. The flip side of that is Friends who I have who are not writers at all have told me, like, I actually want fiction. I want mm-hmm, stories. Mm-hmm. I want these things. I need these things. These things actually are welcome in my life. So I think sometimes writers, we beat ourselves up a little bit too much about, like, woe is me. No one cares. When, in fact, mm-hmm. you know, we're humans. We like stories. We need these things. People want these things. Or some people want these things, I should say. This is what we've been hearing. We've talked to a lot of uh, creative people both, you know, at the start and over the course of the pandemic shutdowns. And over and over and over again, what we've heard from people is at the very moment when we maybe felt most uh, despondent about being creative and putting out work, Mm -hmm. people really want that work right Mm -hmm. now. I think there's a huge appetite, not just for escapism, but for emotions that are not generated by or generated from like disgust and isolation. Mm -hmm. And if anything, I think people, especially as that, you know, we start to look up now at the horizon of a possibility of a post-COVID. If anything, I think the audience is more tuned in to reading right now. Yeah. And just, you know, just like that, the good old escapism, you know, I had, I think a lot about when you're writing a piece of fiction, you are, you're always in competition. Your competition is the wider world. Your competition is to capture someone enough that they don't want to watch a movie. They don't want to watch TV. They don't want to talk to their loved one. They want to be with you. And so that's always been the case, no matter what's going on in the wider world that you have to sort of work in that. And I think this year, it, that it's just being underlined even more and um, how writers get there and how comfortable writers feel about acknowledging that part of the writing process. Mm-hmm. You know, there are some writers who like to go through the song and dance of like, I don't care about anybody and this is just me and like, screw y'all, whatever, whatever I drop, I mm-hmm. take it. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, <laughs> I think, you know, there are others of us who actually really do sort of think about that and it doesn't necessarily change what we want to say or our viewpoint or, or hard truths or, you know, whatever weird thing we want to say. But to care about the audience is not weird. Yeah, Certainly, exactly. like you said, not when you are creating. Like mm-hmm. I'm also, I'm a big fan of, I pretend nobody is ever going to read it mm-hmm. when I'm actually creating it because I have to be honest. But I'm so weirded out by this idea that you don't care about an mm-hmm. audience. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just a blatant lie for everyone. Um, <laughs> but the performance of not caring about the audience is so weird to me. It's so weird that I, you know, I I think 
it's also like not the way that I think I, at least I and a lot of my friends engage with books. It was just like you read something and then you say to your friend, you text your friend, I just read the wildest thing or I just mm-hmm. read this thing or I have to talk to you about it. Mm-hmm. That's like the best reaction I could get for something that I write. If someone says I had to share it with X person mm-hmm. to be able to talk about it. Um, and less sort of this idea like, wow, it was so off-putting and terrible and, and yeah. sort of pushed me away or whatever, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because when you push people away, that means you're not going to be able to sell any more books. You'll be able to write as many books <laughs> as you want. I was just about but... to say, you can write anytime, but selling books, but, you know, we're not supposed to care you're about right. the selling of books. But I'm like, that's how people get them. How else are you supposed you to know, get them to people? Anytime mm-hmm. writers pretend they don't care, I mean, and, and it is it is a farce. They're, they care, mm. or they uh-huh. wouldn't say they didn't care. And mm. I just think, mm, bless your heart. Bless your <laughs> cynical little heart. <laughs> so, Caitlin, your new novel, Liberty, is a mm-hmm. coming-of-age story. It's a mother-daughter story. Which I did not need in my life right now. I'm just going <laughs> to tell you right now. I'm just going to put this... Let me just tell you. I did not need all this mother-daughter trauma in the middle of the pandemic. No, it is beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. I do, however, I'm going to have to take you outside afterwards for some words. I mean, a little conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We discuss this thing. But it's also, I, I was intrigued, historical fiction. Mm-hmm. What made you delve into the world of historical fiction? You know, I love history. I worked at Black History Museums for 10 years. Um, my first jobs were at those sites and places. Mm-hmm. For a good portion of my life, I, I've spent a lot of time thinking about how to talk about Black history with a variety of people. You know, um, the sites that I worked at, I worked at uh, the Black Heritage Trail in Boston, which starts, it's a walking trail, and it starts directly across from the street from the State House. Mm-hmm. And the Black Heritage Trail starts where the Freedom Trail, which is the like big yeah. thing around Revolutionary War history, where the Freedom Trail ends. Okay. So for much of my teens and 20s, I'd have to stand in this tourist attraction wearing a, a Park Service uniform, mm-hmm. um, which makes people immediately trust you or seek you out. And they'd be like, why are you standing here? And I'd be like, you want to hear the story about Black abolition? And people would be like, no. no. <laughs> like, no, yep. we don't. Yep. We definitely I do not. I did those. I did versions <laughs> of those tours when I was, uh, you know, lived in Boston for a short amount of time. When I was mm-hmm. doing a fellowship. And uh, I would be about the only Black person. Uh, yep. I was mm-hmm. I was living in an apartment in Faneuil Hall. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I could just walk out the door and there was always a tour going on. Yeah. And I would see someone like you. And honestly, I would just tag along. I didn't pay for a lot of these. I'm just going to be honest. <laughs> I, I stole reparations. the tour. Yes, thank you. If this is possible, I stole the tour in the name of reparations. And so I just kind of tag along. And one time there was someone doing a one that had a few black Civil War reenactors, mm-hmm. which was Those people are, are fascinating. a breed of their own. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> moly. Um, and I saw a brother and I and I locked eyes with them on purpose. And like, you know, like, what's what's good? What's mm-hmm. up? You OK? Mm-hmm. <laughs> And he and he averted his eyes real quick. I was like, "Oh, you chose yeah. this." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a it's a special thing. I actually have a tangential book recommendation. Attica Locke, amazing novelist. She mm-hmm. uh, wrote um, a novel called also "The Cutting Season" that takes place on a plantation and involves black Civil War reenactors. It's yeah. crazy. Those. Yeah, I mean, we we worked with one, he came and he tried to take over our site and like, I'll just say, 
he was as dark as me and he wore blue contact lenses and yeah, that's maybe yeah, all that's you need to tell. know about his personality. That's a tell. Yeah, um, yeah. We've got his number. Anyways, huh. that's a detour. All that it was to say, like, I, I'm interested in, in Black history and I'm interested in um, the stories that we tell ourselves about it and the stories that people seem most drawn to. And when I would do those tours, you know, the sites that I worked at were very much about abolition and Black freedom. They were, they were mm-hmm. talking about uh, free Black communities and how people sort of figured out how to establish their freedom. And everybody who came to the site would be like, but where are the slaves? Like, we want to know about that history. Like, if there aren't slaves, then how is this Black history was basically like the... Yeah. the yeah. subtext of a lot of the comments. So I'm I'm always so, sort of interested in that tension and then also sort of like the stories that non-Black people get about Black history versus the stories that we in our own communities tell us about our histories, which often have very little to do with interaction with larger white culture or structures. Like, mm-hmm. I think a lot of the history that uh, mainstream Black history is really focused on first, like who is the first Black person to do X, who is the first Black person, meaning who is the first Black person to get into a white space. Yeah. And of course, our histories are so much more varied and bigger and concerned with other things besides that. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to explore both those tensions in this One of the things that I enjoy about historical fiction and have enjoyed about your work is a peek into the everyday life of a moment where we sometimes imagine when we imagine historical actors at all, Mm -hmm. we imagine them being like really attuned to the fact that they are living history. And so Mm -hmm. like their whole lives are consumed by the fact that they are living in this major historical moment. But of course, you never know that when you're actually living history. You're just like, like you're cooking and you're fighting with your mother and you're, you know, you're looking at boys and you're, you're doing all of the, the other stuff. But I also imagine that is a challenge for an audience who comes to you wanting the, the trail. Where are the slaves? Where are the, right? What's the, the, give me the history I know. Mm -hmm. How do you weave a story out of the things that people tend to come to, to history wanting with a story that is about real people or people who should feel real to us doing real things. Yeah. I try to sort of get at those feelings of, of like what are sort of the everyday questions and concerns that would still be on people's minds, even as these big historical things are coming about. So like the book starts right before the civil war starts and then it runs through um, the start of reconstruction in the U S because, and because it takes place in New York city, it takes place during the draft riots. And so the draft riots occur in the book, but the characters don't actually participate really. They're seeing the aftermath. They're seeing the survivors sort of like come in. And that was really important to me because I, I feel like sometimes when we talk about historical events and especially historical trauma, we're really literal. And we talk about like the people who, obviously the people who are literally in those things, but we Mm -hmm. don't really have a way yet of tracking sort of the waves of that from bystanders to people to like descendants to like people who are maybe um, second or third degree removed, but it's still sort of like ripples through your life. And of course, Mm -hmm. fiction is a perfect vehicle to be able to explore those things rather than something like if you were writing a straight history book Uh where you maybe wouldn't have the archival evidence to support. There's not as much archive. That's right. Nobody does an archive of the bystanders. Right. Right. So fiction gives you, has the expansion to be able to do that Mm -hmm. and to see how a big historical event enters into people's individual consciousness, people's individual memories, people's individual understandings of, of a place or a time. Now, I know that people sometimes look down on historical fiction mm-hmm. and try to pit it against literary fiction as if the two are not one and the same. Mm-hmm. 
Why do you think that is? And was that in your mind as you were writing Liberty? It definitely was in my mind because I think people think of historical fiction as somehow purposefully following a certain note or a certain um, tone. And I, I think people assume that people are going to the past for some sort of comfort or, or, or not to be challenged. Oh, they think it's nostalgia. They think it's nostalgia. They think it's nostalgic okay. fiction. And of course, if you read any historical fiction, it's, you know, it's incredibly challenging, you know, um, mm-hmm. you know, Wolf Hall that everybody loves. That's, that is historical fiction. That's incredibly challenging to people's sort of perceptions or understandings of certain parts of human nature and, and history at once. And so, I think that nostalgia thing is a is a difficult thing for people to overcome. And I did an event with Alexander Chi and he mm-hmm. gave me a cause he's wonder he's you know, he's like a quote machine. He has all these quotes. He from really is. He should writers. do a chicken. <laughs> soup he is. For it's the just soul. like he throws them yeah. like fucking throwing yeah. stars. I'm always like, okay, Alex, we got it. <laughs> he's incredible. So he said he had a quote from some writer, I can't remember who, but like historical fiction is about having an argument with the past. Yeah. That I think that's a better way to think of it, is that it's um trying to really have that tension and that energy with the past. Um, and hopefully that informs something about our, our present and our present understanding. You can listen to our entire interview with Caitlin and many other amazing conversations that we have been having on Here to Slay. You do that by going to luminary.link slash slay. Listen, everybody, not dot com, luminary.link slash slay. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Podcasts. 